Hey everyone, it's AKB. Welcome to The Diversity Hires. You hear the special music, which means it's time for a very special episode. We're kicking off our Best Of series, a two-part series where we take nuggets of knowledge from the past and insert them presently into your ear. This week, Best Of The Basics. This is Screenwriting 101. So, buckle in as we embark on this blast from the past. I'm your guide, AKB, and first, we're tackling episode 21, writing your first script. Let's see what Shu and Sherm have to say. Writing your first big project, right? I think in terms of like writing your first pilot, writing your first feature, sitting down to actually do the thing that you want to do, how do you tackle it? And I know you have some thoughts about it. Yeah. And, you know, the reason I started to, we started to think about this was that, you know, we, we hear from a lot of, of uh, a handful of fans. We, we read stuff, um, fans of the podcast. We also read stuff that's just out there on the internet or on Twitter or whatever about screenwriting and from aspiring screenwriters, et cetera. And think about our own experience. And I think there, if you could imagine, if you want to be a, a professional writer, you know, and you're on that journey and on that path to try to do that, I think there's a huge gulf. You know, if you imagine a river and on one side of the river is everybody who's aspiring to write. And on the other side of the river is sort of writers. Right. I think the bridge that is that that goes over that river is having written <laughs> do you know as simple as that sounds having written that first screenplay or that first pilot or a handful of them often the first one is just really hard to get out i remember when i was when i was you know starting finishing was so hard it was just hard to sort of get to the end yeah. it was you know i could think of a ton of ideas i could write a short but getting to the end of a feature film or pilot was impossible. So I thought, even if it's not your first time, if maybe it's just your first time you want to write something good, who knows, uh, that we would just talk about sort of like the challenges that go into that, a, little, a few tips to maybe help you get from that one side of the river to the other side of the river. I um, love that. Yeah. I think yeah. It's, uh, it's a huge, huge first step. You know, the first step is often the hardest, as they say. So... Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of wrote a little bit of a, of a list, Sherm, and let's go down. Uh, I, you, yeah. You don't, you, you, this is how we do on this show, folks. We don't, he doesn't know my list. So we're no just going to talk about it. Let's just talk about it. Let's we're just go run it out. People so have look, stopped listening. People have stopped listening <laughs> to this episode at this point anyway. So we're just talking into the void. We're just talking shit. We'll try not to make it sound like like a lecture. So the first point I wanted to, to sort of talk about and slash ask you what you thought. Like mm-hmm. one of my things that I think about to get from one side of the river to the next is to develop a process. And I, th- I have two parts of what I mean by develop a process. Okay. The first one is about developing a process to or a practice in actually sitting down to write. Now, we've talked about this before on this podcast, but 
I'm a big believer in systems um, yes. and, and, and practices, meaning if you're thinking about, and I'll be very specific, if you're thinking about 2021, I'm going to write that first screenplay. One of the first things I would suggest is to determine a schedule or a system or a practice for when you write. I write from, and, and that could take a, a handful of different ways. You could set the same time every day. People do that often. I write from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. before work or something every day. Fine. You could do it where, you know, Sunday night, every night, every Sunday night, I make myself a schedule for the week for when I'm going to write. It doesn't really matter as long as there isn't this loosey-goosey, I'm going to write sometime this week, maybe tomorrow, maybe Saturday. I'm not really sure. That's not going to get it done. You need to develop a practice or a process for when you write on a daily basis. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would actually be a little more rigid than that even, Shu. I would say, like, you need a routine. You need a routine. Yes. And I know that a routine for some people listening who might have jobs that have, like, different shifts you know, multiple different shifts during the week. Sometimes you start in the morning. Sometimes you do the afternoon shift. Sometimes you do the closing shift. I get it. But if you have the luxury where your schedule is sort of stable, I really suggest that you actually hold yourself to a routine. And I find that almost all the writers I know who have made some money doing it or have reached some level of their own personal success doing it, gotten projects out there, finished stuff, they all have what pretty much amounts to a routine, you know? And like you said, that routine can take several different shapes and sizes, but like it's something that they hold themselves to the same way that an athlete holds themselves to a gym schedule or yes. that, uh, you know, somebody who's just a gym, a, 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 you know, a gym rat holds themselves like I have to get my run in. I have to get the weights in after work every day or else I just can't even go home. It's that level yes. of commitment to doing the damn thing every day. Maybe not, you know, for me, it's every day for me. It's seven days a week. I'm at my desk by seven 30 or seven 45 and I'm pumping out pages for other people. It's five days a week. You know, for some other people, it might be just the weekends all day, every mm -hmm. day on the weekends, you know, whatever the case sure. may be, but I'm a big proponent of the routine. I think it's going to be really hard for you to get your first project done if you don't have some habits that you hold yourself to and that are easily are easily accountable and easily um, verified, right? Like, like you said, if you just are loosey goosey, oh, I'll get an hour in here, an hour in there, um, then it's easy to also excuse it, right? It's oh, I yes. didn't get the hour in. Yes. There. Okay, yes. no big deal. I'll get on to I'll get on it tomorrow. I don't know, man. I think you have to have a routine that you can hold yourself accountable to. Yeah, has it has to be that uh, I couldn't. That's so well said. And it has to be like work, man. It has it's your job. Nobody's paying you yet, but it is your job as a as a soon to be professional to set your hours, set your routine, and show up. Even if you oh, and this is another point I want to make. I wonder what you think about this. Like, I'm a big fan of like, especially in the beginning. You know the. I'm a fan of self-confidence. So, and patting yourself on the back when you can yes. to push yourself through. Yes. And part of that is like, you win when you sit down. If you pump out a fucking sentence, if you stare at the page for two hours, 
if that was the time that you you blanked out to that you blocked out to do your writing, that was part of your routine. You won that day. Yes. In my opinion, I, you won I that day. You that. showed up. Not every day. I mean, we 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 talked we have talked a little bit here about the myth of writer's block and that if you and I, we, I know that we both think that it doesn't exist and it's sort of like a romanticized idea about like the troubles of writing and the and the normal ups and downs of writing process. But yes, if you sit down and you think about the project for two minutes, you have done some writing, in my opinion. You have done some work towards finishing your project. And I think the act of following through to sit down and dedicate some time to your project is valid, even if it doesn't manifest itself in five pages and and two great scenes that you wrote. I think that there is value in just the thought process and the process of blocking out that time. Totally, totally agree. That's great. I want to move on to my my next point, which is yeah. develop, which is really I'm I'm calling sort of like develop a process part two. Okay. And for me, uh, this means develop a system or process or routine with how you format structure your actual piece meaning how do you when you approach a pilot or a screenplay and i'm going to talk about pilot specifically in a second but do you have uh, to develop a process of routine or how you begin to think about uh that that piece um and i with at the risk of sound because there's look you, you guys can go do your own research there's a lot of books or whatever approaches to sort of mapping out a, a screenplay or mapping out a pilot um i'm just gonna in super broad strokes go through what i like to do and what i have found helpful although i break many of these rules but at the beginning what i found helpful in approaching a pilot and how to think about it and how to think about mapping it out as i'm going towards writing it and the first thing I would say is that I always think about whose story is this and uh, who is the main character of this story? Uh, what, is their, what is their primary goal as we talk about all the time? So this is ultimately any pilot, as I'm sure this applies for screenplays too. Um, yeah, I think it applies I, to any story. I mean, any, any good story, story. Starts, yes. with, starts with a main character who you can define and hold on to for the duration of the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in terms of pilots, I'll be specific here, that that I think in terms of pilots, we always talk about a protagonist who wants something, and that that's something that they want is definable. I think in yes. a pilot, it's a you can think of it in terms of the pilot and the season or the series as concentric circles in terms of wants. So... Uh, I like to think about, well, who is my main character? What is it that they want in this episode, in this pilot? What is the definable thing that they are after in this pilot? And then, concentric circles, what does that thing that they are after, that want, how does that speak to what their want of the season is? And then how does that speak to their want of the series? Yes. And so what I'm trying to develop in a pilot from the main character's perspective is a microcosm of their entire series want. So I'm trying to develop a story. Joe wants to get a sandwich today, whatever. That's the story of the pilot. Mm-hmm. But how does that story of the pilot speak to that? 
that getting the sandwich has to have something to do with what Joe's story of the season and what his story of the series is going to be. Let me stop you real quick and say, everybody pause this podcast and go watch the pilot to Mad Men because Mm -hmm. it destroys this concept. It's one of the greatest (laughs) pilots of all time. And it is a perfect example of this, of this concept shoe because in that pilot, Don Draper has a very specific want that is contained within the pilot. He's got to come up with a new campaign for this cigarette brand. But in trying to find out how, what he's going to do for that for that cigarette campaign, we learn so much about what he's going to be trying to accomplish throughout the course of the series, quite honestly, about the secrets mm-hmm. he's trying to keep, about um, his goal to be the best ad man he possibly can be, about his fierce independence, about his problems with uh, alcohol and fidelity. We learn all of that stuff. So I would just say, if you're looking for a concrete example of what Shakri is talking about, I would direct everybody to the pilot of Mad Men. Absolutely agree. Fantastic pilot. Fantastic. One of my favorites. The other things I'll talk about on just really quickly, because I don't want to belabor all of this uh, to get to the other points, and we can read up on this in other places, I'm sure. But I always found it helpful um, to think about that as to think about three stories in a pilot. That which I just described uh, being the A story, I like to think of it in terms of A, B, and C. Again, these rules can all be broken, but at least when starting out, I like to make it simple. And I think um, thinking about that main character story as the A story, um, as we just described, and then thinking of, because I think of, you know, television shows have uh, are ultimately about one person, but there's many people in the world. And so I think thinking about a B and a C story that won't take up a as much um, space in the pilot, but we'll uh, have B stories that follow similar rules. Characters with wants who are going to either get or not get those things uh, by the end of the pilot. Uh, I think it's good to be able to define those A, B, and C stories in a single sentence. This is a story about Joe who wants a sandwich. And by the end, he turns out that, you know, he's got a, you know, he eats a tuna sandwich that he hates. I have no idea. But um, to define that character's journey in a single sentence, maybe two, I think that helps to sort of begin the process of understanding what your A, B, and C stories are. And lastly, I'll just say that there's lots of different ways you're going to get a lot of different advice about should you write a pilot that has act breaks? Should you not? Should it be four acts or five acts? I don't think it really matters, but I will say that I am a traditionalist. This is just my opinion mm-hmm. in the sense that I do think, again, just starting out, it's good to have the rhythm of acts. And so I, I advise people to, to, again, it doesn't really matter. I know people disagree with this, but I like the practice of writing a teaser that ends with a, with a punch and writing four or five acts. The, the standard these days tends to be five, sometimes six, because they got to get another fucking commercial in there. Commercial break. All right, so you have the basic tools to write your first script, and you know that you need active characters. Well, how do you know if your characters are active? Let's learn more about active characters by examining their antithesis. We're heading to episode 15, Passive Characters. Jiswo, 
What do you think about passive characters? Passive characters suck. Passive characters will sink your script. It's like the number one thing I read when I read a script or when I watch a show and I see a passive character, it it ruins it for me. I'm I'm literally not into the story. So what is a passive character, Shu? A uh, passive character, a passive central character, as it's called sometimes, is a character to, for whom things are happening to. Uh, they are not generating any of the action in the script. And generally it's because we have not clearly defined what their wants or needs are in the script and the activity that they are going to go through or do in order to accomplish those wants and needs. Is that fair? 100%. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. We need to see characters as human beings, you know, and this is these are storytelling techniques that go back to really cave paintings on walls. And it definitely goes back to the Greeks who sort of formalized, the ancient Greeks who sort of formalized drama. We need, as human beings, when we engage in a story, We need a character who is striving to get something. We need a character who is trying very hard to accomplish what they want. We need a character who um, holds on to their objective through all the trials and tribulations of life, whether it's a quiet indie drama or a horror movie about survival or some space epic. We need that. Why do we need that? Well, I think because in humans, because as human beings, we want to see other people trying to accomplish something. That's a feeling that we can really hold on to. We can really engage in. We can really see ourselves in their own shoes. When we see people trying to accomplish things, it we can relate to it because we all want to accomplish things in our lives. The second thing is when a character is passive and things are just happening to that character, we start to lose direction for the story. We don't quite understand why things are happening They feel haphazard. They feel like they're happening sort of outside the context of the story. They feel like the writer is just throwing things into the mix because the character is not the one who's moving the narrative forward. That's right. That's right. Okay. So that's the end of the podcast. No, just kidding. (laughs) But I I mean, I think what we're talking about here really boils down to to the two things that we just talked about, Shu. I mean, I think that's what makes story click and that's why uh, passive characters are so whack right yeah and like one of the things that um you know I, i'm not i say this often I, i'm not making this up this is this is not coming from me this is coming from you know anybody from aaron sorkin or other teachers or or, or screenwriters that say something similar to this that you know all stories ultimately boil down to a character who has an intention, who meets an obstacle, that obstacle or what they do with that obstacle reveals character, reveals who they are. And those are the building blocks of a story. Again, intention meets obstacle, what that character does in relationship to that obstacle, what they do as a result of that obstacle reveals their inner character. And then it's kind of rinse and repeat. Now, there are some other structural things beyond that, but I think holding on to that, to your point, holding on to character intention, 
meeting obstacle is if you don't have that, you're done from the beginning. If you do have that, uh, you got something that you can hang uh, your story off of. Now, I'll say if it's okay to segue, like, yeah, let's talk about what what intention is and what it isn't and what wants Mm -hmm. are and what they are. And one of the things that I think I see a lot that, um, and, and I, as an imperfect screenwriter fall into this trap sometimes myself Mm -hmm. is that what I call negative ones. So a character, they don't particularly main character. They don't particularly want anything they want the lack of something or the the not something to happen. I don't want um, mm-hmm. this person to rob me. I don't want the the uh, I don't know social services to take my kids. Why did I go to that place? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want uh, I don't want whatever. I don't. It's an I don't want or what I call yeah. a negative want, right? Which is not something. It's hard. You can't, it's hard to build an active want off of not wanting something to happen because all a character can do to not want something to happen is just you know sit in their room. What do you yeah. What do you do? Well, you so, have, yeah. I mean, you have to. Go ahead. Yes, if you're going to fix that, you have to flip it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want the asteroid to hit Earth and wipe out humanity. Yeah, of course, nobody does. It doesn't really tell me anything about the character, and I don't actually know how the character gets involved you can sort of say that's a want but it really is a passive character you know what i mean it really is a passive character who is sort of because reaction sorry because reaction is passivity well i want to talk about that too because i hate that word reaction but um but if you tell me i want to stop the asteroid from hitting earth well then now we can write a movie about that what are you going to do are you going to get a mining team to land on the asteroid and blow it up from the inside that's active, right. you know. That's right. really active. So, I think um, that's a that's a really great point. I say the other thing is about that is that it's got to be visual. It's got to be visual. It's got to be tangible. We have to be able to see it on screen. Filmmaking, after all, and, and television making, after all, is still a visual medium, and it's really hard to imagine what something not happening looks like, right? Yes, it's really difficult exactly. like it doesn't happen yeah. okay so then it, it doesn't yes. happen we don't see it on screen but right. something happening really 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 you can you can start to talk about like well if if i if my goal is to blow up the asteroid that's going to hit earth i know what an exploding asteroid looks like right you can put it on right. screen as something super visual so the other thing that i think a close cousin to what you just described are these deep-seated emotional ones that haven't been made tangible that we can see. And so it's like, I want love. What does love look like? I can't see that on screen. I don't know what it necessarily looks like to get love. But if you tell me I want to get married by Valentine's day next year. Okay. Well then that is something I can see. I know what a wedding looks like. I know what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship. I know what it looks like to get proposed to. I can start to see that. Or you tell me I want love and I want to uh, make that visual and tangible by attaching it to the big school dance at the end of the year. I know what it looks like for a high school sweetheart to get asked to the big school dance, the prom at the end of the year. Making those things visual, something that we can see, really thinking about what it looks like when the story comes to a conclusion, 
is a big, big part of it. And like you said, negative wants and deeply seated emotional wants, they don't really accomplish that. Uh, I agree, but I do want to make a point about those emotional wants because for me, I like to identify what I call, you know, intrinsic needs and extrinsic wants, or mm-hmm. sometimes it's just called wants and needs. And and to me, wants are are this is just the way I arrange it in my head. Wants are external, and needs are internal. So, you know, I for example, I recently wrote a script that went nowhere. Rodney Dangerfield, that uh, was <laughs> who centered on a main character who's living out of a car and broke and trying to ultimately her external want. Well, let me go to her internal want first. This this is who this character we find this character in the beginning, as I just described, down on her luck essentially. I just early in the process, I identified when I was making this story that this. This person who had been abandoned by her mother uh, earlier in her life, really ultimately her internal need was to be held by her mother. That was her internal need. That was everything that drove um, her as a person was really to just want that feeling again to be held by her mother who had left her. Mm-hmm. Now, the story, without getting too deep into it, the story was about her this long lost mother sort of coming back into this woman's life, but that didn't happen to the end of the script. Mm -hmm. So what was this main character's want? What was the external want that expressed that internal need? Right. What could Mm -hmm. I show? I can't show she wants to be held by her mother. That's what she's hiding. That's what that's all Mm -hmm. underneath the surface. So what can I show? Well, she's down on her luck. And, and so f- what, what the story is about is about her finding a job, right? That's what her external want is. Her desire in the script is to get a job because she's broke and she's got to, she's being evicted and she's got to, uh, or she's been evicted and she's got to get rent, get money to pay for a new place, right? She's got to get a house. But what I try to, what helped me, and it may help other writers, Sherman may not agree with this. But what it helped me to know was that it helped me to know her internal need. Because Mm -hmm. when I understood in different scenes, when I understood why she was working so hard and would take a shitty job and all these things, uh, knowing that her mother was back in town. And again, I'm not going to go to the whole script, but... Mm -hmm. It was important for me to know that deep down, this woman just wanted security Mm. and that that's what the holding of her mother was really about. The abandonment of her mother earlier in her life Mm -hmm. um, and wanting that hug from that mother really was a need for security. And her external want was to get a job, desperately get a job, and she would do anything to get a job. That's what the story was about. But that expressed that internal need for security. And then once I knew the deepness of deepness, whatever, the depth of that internal need, (laughs) then I could express that over and over in different ways that I think elevate the script as we go on. Yeah. I mean, I hear that. I think that it's funny that you say she just wanted to be embraced by her mom because I actually think there is a way to flip that as an external want. Like I actually think that you could flip just getting back. I mean, this is not your story, but just getting back to my mom for a hug is actually something I think you could base a whole script on. But when you said that she just needed security, 
and it's a direct reaction to her abandonment issues, I assume, that, yeah. you know, that's sort of the internal, that's sort of the internal uh, objective that is very, very hard to make real on the page and on the screen. And so yes. attaching it to something like trying to get a job, trying to find stability in one's life by getting a job is actually really smart. And I can see how that works as a movie or a TV show. Was it a movie or a TV show? It was a TV show. We should. I think what what I would like to talk a little bit about, though, is since this is don't do that shit passive characters, talk a little bit about action, character action, because it's one thing to state uh, a character's objective and figure out whether it's internal or whether it's external, whether it's something that you can see on screen and really make happen or whether it's something that's too discreet and emotional. But then what happens? Like once you identify what the character wants and you are trying to make an active character, there's another step. You have to actually put the character into action. So, like, what is action? What is character action? Mm. It's what the character does to get what they want. It's that simple. Once you've yeah, identified it, it what really the character is. is trying to do, and I mean, what the character is trying to achieve and what they really want and what they're going to go for, you then have to lay out a series of steps that they take in order to get what they want. That's really what drives story. Yes. And that's really what separates an active character versus a passive character, right? Because you can have a passive character who has, you've done all this work to figure out what they want. You've done all this work to figure out what they're going to go after. And then they don't, if they don't take action, it's meaningless. Like Shakri said, the character has to set out to get it, face obstacles, and then keep persevering to try to get it. It's really a laser focus that you're establishing for your character. Now, I want to yes. talk a little bit about the difference between what I call action versus activity. Because Oh, this is a good one. Because activity, you're, sometimes people think, well, my character is doing a lot. You know, yeah. my character is is getting ready for work and they're working on the big presentation and they're dealing with family drama uh, yeah. and so on and so forth. But if it's not attached to what the character is trying to accomplish overall exactly. in the piece, it doesn't matter. Frying an egg yeah. for breakfast yes. is not action. It's usually. an activity. It's an activity. <laughs> it's something they're doing on screen. But if their goal is to, for example, break their cousin out of prison, what does frying an egg have to do with it? It doesn't move right, the story exactly. forward. Talking exactly. to the getting a coffee from the coffee shop doesn't really move it forward. Dealing with their relationship with their spouse doesn't really move it forward. So you have to identify that want, that goal, that objective, and then you have to put the character in action. And here's the and here's the even trickier part, Shu. Once you put that character into action, that also is not enough. Because now the character has to shape the story. That action has to have cause and effect. The action that the character takes has to alter the course of the story. Whether they succeed in that action or whether they fail, it has to change the course of the story. And that's sort of the last step that you need in order to make the character drive the story. When you get a want, action, and then cause and effect, now you're cooking. Now you're telling me a story where your protagonist 
who I really want to root for and I really want to go on this journey with, you're telling me a story where this protagonist is actually shaping and driving the story. Wonderful. So now we know what we need to write our first script and we know what we need to make the characters active. But what do we have these active characters say? Let's turn to episode 25, Dialogue, to learn exactly that. All right, so dialogue, man. What do you, you said it might be a two-sentence episode. So, like, what are your two sentences about dialogue? Well, I have a couple categories. All right. Um, and I think um, this is just in the way of thinking about dialogue because there's a lot of different schools of thought, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with – because we talk a lot about story, about character, about mm-hmm. structure, mm-hmm. Um even we talk about in the don't do that shits, we talk about sort of like how it should look on the page and that kind of thing. Yes. But people, you know, there's not a lot of time spent on dialogue. I think it's because we all talk. Well, yes. unless you don't have the ability to talk, but we all mostly talk. And, you know, except for my, my, my people in the deaf community, we mostly hear. And so I think we think we know how to do that because right. we, we speak and we hear. So, What's the difference? Just put it. Just put that on paper. That's Guess not what? actually. Yeah. Guess what? Most people don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, people, exactly. A, That's not what you should do. It's if people a, really <laughs> take it for granted, I think because of all the reasons you mentioned, but a lot of people write really whack dialogue. So I'm glad yes. to get into this because you know it's it's a it's an art form, man. Yes. Well, here's my first point, and, and okay. you tell me what what you think. Like I, All right. Like Lay it on me. I was once taught and told to think of dialogue as action. Bro, that was my first point. Was it? We really have to talk before we start these podcasts. <laughs> I love it. No, but I I wholeheartedly agree. We should really we should really do some prep, Shukri. <laughs> we really should. All right. All right. So dialogue well, is action. Well, you 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 well. What's your two cents on dialogue as action? What does that well, mean to you? And, okay. And, so yeah. for for me personally, what I, first I have to define what action is, right? And we talked about this in our in our passive active characters episode. Mm-hmm. Action is something a character does in order to achieve what they want, not just what they want in the moment, but what they want as it's tied to the central goal, the dramatic question, the problem of the piece that you're that you're writing the script. So I like to think of action as how uh, dialogue as how it relates to the characters accomplishing their goals and how those goals relate to the central dramatic question. Mm-hmm. So I come from the firm, you know, school of thought that people open their mouths because they want something. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. they talk. Nobody said if, if you don't want something, just keep your mouth shut. Even if mm-hmm. you're like a nervous character who just doesn't like the sound of silence. Well, you want something you want to mm-hmm. fill the sound of silence and that awkward tension with some sort of sound. It might cause you to ramble. Now you're already just thinking of it from that perspective. You're already starting to, to discover the manner in which people speak, mm-hmm. right? Dialogue 
and you know, giving one one word answers because you really don't want to say too much. You don't want the other mm-hmm. character to know what you're thinking. You don't want the other mm-hmm. character to know mm-hmm. your plan, whatever the case may be. That's also dialogue as action. So that's what <laughs> that's the way I come at it first and foremost. Before I even think about what words to choose, the sort of the manner of speaking, if there's some sort of idiosyncratic slang yes. that they use, any of that stuff. That's the very first thing I'm thinking about, Shu, when I'm when I'm approaching a scene. What does the character want and how can the character use dialogue to achieve what they want? And that is action. I mean, 100%. 100%. And the, I can't even add, I'll just co-sign and say that I think many things, it's so interesting how many things come back to character wants and needs. Guess and what? Sure, sure. It, it, it yeah. all comes back to character. It all comes needs. back. If you're not, if you're not coming back, back to character wants and objectives and goals and how they're trying to achieve that, you have you have a mess. You have a mess. That's and I want right. I have a I have a don't do that shit today about this exact topic. But let me just say, there are so many pieces of work on television, specifically television, which the where you have no clue what anybody wants. No, I don't. Let me not go too deep because I have a don't do that shit. But it's so as a as a writer and as a viewer, it's so clear when I turn on something where the the creative forces behind the project don't adhere to a central objective, that don't adhere to the idea of an active character chasing one thing that they really want. It's clear mm-hmm. to me within the first ten minutes, and I'm like, get this shit off my TV, man. I can't even stand to watch it. Sorry yeah. about that, true. Continue. No, it's absolutely true. And I think even within, so back to, di- like, segueing that to dialogue, even within scenes, you know, because characters can have overarching ones for, the, for the, the script or the whole story or the whole series or whatever. But in scenes, you know, characters also have wants. And so when you can identify what that, what is this character in this scene want or need what are they trying to get out of the other person uh yes. why are they there uh what do they what do they seek whatever then the, it's amazing how the dialogue can become natural to reflect that because someone's going to talk about you know we can i want to save a little bit later how to be crafty about this but somebody's going to talk about the things related to their want Someone is going to respond to that, either defend themselves, try to stop the person from the thing they want, evade, whatever. And all those words that I use, defend, evade, avoid, are all action words. Yes. And so those those actions yes. uh, want, need, you know, avoid, defend, whatever, turn into words. And those words turn into di- sentences, which turn into dialogue. And so that action is the root of it. What is this? What is this person's action? Is the uh, related to the characters once in the scene? That is where dialogue springs from. Yes. Everything else is just bullshit. I mean, everything just, else is decoration, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything else is decoration. The the way that you listen, the way that you. I think a lot of writers think like. I got to come out of the gate having dialogue that's as clever and as quippy as Tarantino. So let me think about the cool phrases I want to use. And let me think about the manner of speaking and the accents and the, and the slang and all that kind of shit. Okay. None of that matters unless you do what you just described first, right? Like none of it, it's all going to fall flat. It's all going to feel hollow 
unless you are propping it up. This is before you've even thought about the specific words you're using. Before you've even written one word of dialogue, you're doing the work to make sure that the scene is going to support all that other cool shit you want to say. So I agree with you 100% about this, Shu. I think that, you know, I've said it before, but it's, it's worth mentioning here. I, in grad school, I read this article uh, or this essay by David Mamet. Shout out Andy Beanan. He put me on to it. Fantastic writer. Boys don't cry. Look him up. But David Mamet has three magic questions for scenes, right? These are mm. questions that he as a writer asks himself before he writes a scene and to also stress test if a scene is even worth being in the script. It's who wants what, who wants what from who? First question. Second question, what happens if they don't get it? Third question, why now? If you can answer those three questions, which get at the heart of what Shakri and I are talking about, and there's different ways to phrase them, whatever, like, you know, objective, stakes, immediacy. You could phrase it like that as well. But if you can sort of identify or answer those questions or sort of categorize your scene in those three categories before you even write a word of dialogue, I guarantee your dialogue in that scene will be better because you understand what is going on dramatically underneath the words. Yes. Agreed. Um, because the words are only serving that purpose. I mean, that's what they should, the words aren't there to just be words. We could talk about that in a second. Yeah. They are there to serve that, that thing you're talking about to serve um, those objectives, the characters objectives. The other thing I just want to mention is that, you know, and I've said this before, as we've talked about once, but especially as it comes into a scene, you know, I, I don't want to put out this notion like these wants have to be huge. Like I have to want to defuse the bomb right. in this scene. It doesn't have to, that doesn't, doesn't require it to be large. It could just be that, you know, I'm trying to communicate to this person, you know, I don't know, that I'm angry with them, but I don't want to say I'm angry with them. I want to whatever. Well, okay. I'm, I'm I'm pissed off at them about taking my kid, but I'm talking about how how you left a plate in the dishes in the in the sink. So what I'm you know what I'm what I really want in this scene is for you to know how angry I am, but I can't get that because whatever you know okay. because you keep avoiding. Yeah, I mean you're getting yes okay. So I think this is great. I think you're getting to advanced shit. Let me just say to to your first part. Yes, it doesn't always have to be. The scene doesn't have to be some big dramatic thing in order to ask yourself these questions and figure out how people are going to talk. It could be that the scene that they're currently in is distracting them from their main objective. And so then the goal of the scene becomes, how can I get out of the scene as quickly as possible because I have to go do the real thing that I want? You know, And that can become an interesting way to craft a scene. The other thing you were saying, which I think is really interesting, which I think we should go ahead and get into, which is another one of the points that I wanted to bring up is when characters can't say directly what they're, what they want, they can't say directly what they're <laughs> thinking and what their objective is. I then to say on this. <laughs> okay. Do you want to get into it now? No, no, I want you. Yes, but I want you to start. I well, I mean, I just, it's, it, I want to hear what you have to say, but it's, I think this is where you start getting, and again, you might not have even written a word yet. This is just like all the pre-work you do in order to get your dialogue set up in a way that's going to make it really sing. I'll say that I think, generally speaking, human beings are super inarticulate. 
And what yes. I mean by that is not that I'm not talking articulate, like whether they can like form a sentence and use big words and, and pronunciate clearly. That's one way to think about articulate, but I'm talking about like from what's going on in their mind, what's going on in their heart and their soul emotionally, people are very bad at expressing that verbally. So mm-hmm. you're already in deep shit from a, from a dialogue standpoint, if you ever have anybody say exactly what they're feeling or exactly what they're thinking, and it comes out clearly, you're already in deep shit because most people don't talk like that. And that's you as the writer laying bare what's going on, but you haven't really passed it through the filter of like how sophisticated and how complex human beings are. So I'm already, when, I, when I'm getting to the point where I'm writing dialogue and I've done all this work that Shu and I have already talked about, I'm already thinking about like, okay, now how can I obscure it? How can I mess it up? How can I make it more complex? Okay, this person hates the other person, but they can't say it because it's inappropriate given the nature of their relationship. They can't say it. How how does their objective to say that they hate this person, how is it hindered by the obstacle that they're not allowed to say it? Okay, now we got to, now it's a sophisticated scene. They want to say something, but they can't. Okay, now what's the dialogue of the scene? Man, that was just starting to get good. Guess you'll have to listen to the rest of the episode sometime. That's episode 25, Dialogue. So, you've written your first script, and you've given it to someone whose opinion you value, and they've given you notes. What do you do with those? How do you see the note behind the note? And how do you improve on your first draft? This is a real throwback. We're going back to episode 7. That's 007. Vomit drafts. Yuck. And rapper notes. Let's see what they have to say. What kind of notes are helpful for you? You have to distinguish between where you are in your process and what kind of notes you're getting. Because there's the kind of notes that I solicit for my own rewrites. There's the kind of notes that come from a production entity or a studio when I've turned in an official draft that I'm being paid for. And there's the kind of notes that you get in television writing that come from production, that come from the table read, that come from the showrunner who who had to lose one set to find another. So those are all different kinds of notes. My favorite kind of notes and the best notes that I get hands down are the kind of notes that I get after I write a draft of something for myself and I expose it to my friends who are also writers or in the film industry. Hands down, those are the best notes. They're story-oriented. They don't take into account uh, all the silly shit that a rapper might take into account or that a studio might take into account that have nothing to do with the story. They, uh, you know, they don't, they're not thinking about budget necessarily. They're not thinking about star power. They're not thinking about this or that. They're thinking about telling the best story. Mm -hmm. Those are the best notes I get. My homies and the people who I give my scripts to know that I want character-based notes. I want to know what the characters are doing. Does it make sense? Are the characters driven? Are they staying active throughout? And how can I use those characters to tell the best story possible? Those are the notes I love. Those notes I really feel like can only come from people who know what they're talking about and who do it day in and day out. Those are the notes that I respect the most. So for people listening, let's just walk through your process a little bit. So 
you finish a draft, right? And, and let's just for 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 now maybe just talk about um, sort of the, the 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 theoretical part, I guess. I mean, in in yeah, let's the, let's the say this is working on a show part. You know what I mean? Just the you you've got spec. your own. This is yes. my own thing. I've written it in my house. The first thing right. I do, um, let me jump your question because I think I know where you're going. I write a draft that I am really pleased with. I am not a writer who does a vomit draft. I don't do a quick draft to get it out. I, that's some people's process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I write the dopest possible draft I can possibly write on the first draft. I want to put out a killer draft every time I finish a script. I don't do vomit drafts. I don't do quick drafts. If I have to stop because something doesn't make sense and I need to spend five days on one scene, I do it because I'm after perfection and I'm after murdering any script I touch. When I open Final Draft, I have homicide on my brain. I'm trying to kill it. Then once I have that draft that I'm pleased with, I really, shoot, I've sent you several drafts of things, first drafts yeah. of things. I yes. go to other homies from grad school, other writers I know, you know, writers that I've encountered in TV rooms who I really love their sensibilities. I try to get it to five or six people and I ask them all to read it and I always return the favor. If you're one of those people on my list that I send it to, I'm also going to read your stuff very quickly and turn around quality notes as well. I yes. feel like it's sort of a, a fraternity type thing. Agreed. I send it to five or six people. I don't want to send it to too many people, but I also want to send it to a wide variety of people. And then when I get their notes back, the first thing I'm looking for is what do they have in common? If everybody is saying, I don't really feel like I know this character in the first 15 pages, then I then I realize I have a problem with the character in the first 15 pages. And I sort of look for consensus and that's the stuff I attack the hardest. And then I sort of, look at the individual notes and decide what I think is going to improve the script and what I think might not work going forward. And I, if, if I don't think it's going to work, I ignore it. I have the ability to do that because at this point it's just my script. Nobody, I'm not answering to anybody but myself. And then I try to do, I try to do a rewrite based on that. Okay. Let's stop there for a second because I want to, yeah. I think this is a good way to go through it kind of step by step because yeah. we have some differences and it'd be good for people to maybe hear. Well, tell me about your process. processes in there too. So, yeah. So that takes us up through the first round of notes that you got and what you're looking for in those first rounds, first round of notes from several people, which I think is great. Yeah. And then you attack that first round of notes. So let, let me go back for a little bit. Yes. You talked about, and, and I, I can talk about my, my sort of differences in process in a second, but you talked about having your draft be the best possible draft. You can be, it can be in the first draft. What can you break that down a little bit? Are you, you said you don't vomit out of draft, but are you, it, it, does that mean you're spending a lot more time in scenes? You going back to the beginning, back to an act, you know, I take several a times. What, yeah. are, what are you doing to get to that quote first draft? I mean, all of are you rewriting in that process? I am rewriting in that process. I, you know, maybe I should have said, I give the best notes to myself. I am my hardest critic. I am constantly trying to make it better. Um, so, it for me, it's a constant rewriting process. I might wake up the next day. I write in the morning. I wake up and I try to write. I might wake up the next day and just think, man, that scene, those two scenes that I wrote yesterday are not working. And I'll go back mm -hmm. to those scenes. And I'll keep sort of tinkering as I go to try to make things as, as good as possible. I also keep a running list of notes. 
Mm -hmm. I also keep a separate list of notes that that will sort of be like, because you find things as you go, right? Perhaps you find some theme or some uh, object that the character has that represents something emotional. And you go, oh, man, that would be perfect for this scene on page 59. But in order for it to work, I need to first have somebody give them that object on page eight. So I'll write a little note to myself. Go back and establish that item in the first act. And so by the time I get to the end, the end, quote unquote, I'm putting air quotes. You can't see it. By the time I get to the end, I might have a to-do list of 10 to 15 things that require some rewriting uh, before I even feel like the draft is finished. So that, yeah. uh, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. And I'll just say, I'll, I'll point. So uh, I'll, I'll just say my, my process. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll, you know, 90, these days, 95% of what I write is going to be television. So 95% of the specs I'm writing is either a spec pilot um, or, you know, it's some sort of, if it's not a spec, it's some sort of development project. And I'm not talking about staff work for now. I think that's a different thing we can jump into. Um, but very similar with a, to yours with a, a few differences. Like, I do believe in the, the quote, vomit draft. And, and mm-hmm. the reason I do is because I believe, I, I think some... Should, you know what? Can we, can we break down that term? I'm just realizing that if yeah. somebody is an absolute beginner listening, they might not even know what we mean by that. So it, I'm sure people have slightly different definitions of what it means to them, but it basically means that the philosophy is that just get everything out on the page, right? Mm-hmm. And and we're we're skipping a step where we assume that you've outlined and all that, but yes. once you once you're getting into the writing of the script, you just put words on the page and it may not be good. You you know you got to fix some stuff, but you just try to barrel forward. It's called the vomit draft because you, you know, it's a disgusting way of describing it, but you're sort of vomiting. It just regurgitating, just getting it out, purging. You get it out, yes. So I do actually happen to believe in that because mm-hmm. when I was a, a, a younger writer, I think one of my biggest hurdles was trying to make it perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think in in the moment, and I think what I, I, I just, it's part of the way I talk, the way I speak sentences, I tend to go back. I'll, I'll never get it out. So I have to force myself to just get to the end, get to the end of the scene, get to the mm-hmm. end of the page, get to the end of the draft. So my goal when I sit down to do it is to just, is to vomit it out and to use my reflexes to be able to do that. Now, what has happened over time with experience is that those drafts that used to be just horrible vomit drafts and I'd have to change everything. Mm-hmm. get a little bit better and better because there are some things I can avoid and that I know on reflex because I've been doing this for, for a while. Right. So I, I do believe in getting it out. But the, uh, the other thing that I, that I do agree with you on and that I, that I do share with you is this sort of n- notion of a running list. So for me, like part of the vomit process is I want to get it out, but a lot of times I don't have the, I know I'm not finessing a scene and right. sometimes I'll even write, like, I will write out the expositional feeling of the character if I don't know exactly what they're going to say, for example. Uh, I'll even put words in, in, the, in the dialogue that say, like, exactly what they mean, even though that's not what I'm going to say. I'm really pissed off at you, George. Really? 
what the fuck did you say that for? Whatever. You know what I mean? Right. I know that's not the dialogue I'm going to use, but I need to know what the feelings are on the page. I just need to see it. And then I will come back and fix it. So I sort of keep a, a not tally of where I need to come back to and what I need to finesse. We're very different there because I would spend all day on that exchange. I would spend all day on it until I got the dialogue exactly the way I wanted, or at least for the moment thought that I could move on. I would try to get it right. Yeah. So we're different, but that's fine. We're different. We, we're different. Yeah. So, so to the second part of that question is that, so because I do that, there are a lot, uh, I guess I would say a lot, but there are several passes that I do on the material before I consider it a draft, even mm-hmm. a first draft. Um, and part of that comes from my experience in, in editing and working in um, uh, reality TV and documentary, which I did for many years, uh-huh. is that I, I always thought that the, the goal of editing or the process, not the goal, the mm-hmm. best process that I found was really, especially in nonfiction, well, only in nonfiction, really, is you just wanted to pull things down into the timeline. Those who edit kind of know what I'm talking about. Right. And avid. You want to pull things down into the timeline. And editing is really about passes, that you want to get your story down in the roughest form and then keep going back and keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. So I try to do that um, before it's a so-called first draft. Now, okay. from there, I just want to th- I want to throw it back to you now. So, wait, what, I agree, what, yeah, what you, but now you have a first draft. Like we're talking now about I have rewriting. A first draft. Yeah. And now I'm with you on I'm with you the rest of the way. Like I believe in the five trusted people you send it to. I believe mm-hmm. that when you get those notes back, I, I'm everything you said that you're looking for the common denominators first, because some yeah. people are going to have taste things that you agree or don't agree with, but you're looking for the common denominators and how to solve those. And, um, and then, you know, there are some people who, uh, you know, you may read and like, I know this person because I've, they've read stuff of mine before is particularly, you know, good at this thing. Like they're good at pointing out character stuff. So I may want to listen mm-hmm. to them about that or, this other person's great with plot stuff. So I may want to hear them about that. Um, But from there, yes, I agree. I'm looking for the common denominator first. You have been listening to the diversity hires. You can find us on all social media at div hires pod. We got a Patreon too, y'all support your boy. I've been your temporary host and producer of this podcast, August K. Burton, a.k.a. AKB. Uh, Subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't already. You think I write those for my health? I write them for you. Shout out to our newest member, Tia Ren. She's our social media coordinator, and we're very glad to have her. All right, uh, I think that's it for me. Until next time, adios, uh, au revoir, auf Wiedersehen, arrivederci, sayonara, zaichia, goodbye. <laughs>